So, what's happening? What's happening? I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. And after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. It's Stone Weekly Dose. Give me the maximum allowable human dosage. Available for download at 6 a.m. Figure out what will kill me and then back it off a little bit. When you say something, it's your word. It's something that you mean. It's something that you're, it's a value. And if you don't believe in it, you shouldn't endorse it. Available for download every Wednesday. At stoneonair.com. Brinkley to snap, turn to hold, snap, set, kick on the way, good! Brian Suckup has given the Titans a 19-17 win at Arrowhead. All right, well, hello, everybody. It is the Stone On Air podcast, the weekly dose for December 21st. 2016, the most listened to, most downloaded, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. My name is Brian Stone, and those were the final words spoken from the Titans radio network at the end of the game this past weekend. I am going to start with a couple of sports things, uh, football more specifically here as we start the show, and I've got a handful of other things to get to as this will be a three-segment weekly dose. The final you know, live to tape real show of the year. I'll do a um, a kind of retrospective of the entire year of the Stone On Air show, which started on that crappy radio station, Talk Radio 102.3, and then as a standalone podcast for the last uh, six months. And a lot of cool things and ideas going into the new year of 2017. Thank you for finding the show, however it is that you do so. So we'll start with... Titans football, um, man, finally, for the first time in like eight years, they're playing meaningful games, and this is a lot of fun. And they win two more games in a row, which are very, very winnable games. They could also lose them, but they're winnable games. And the Titans will be hosting a first-round playoff game and will be the division champs of the AFC South. Now, it's a terrible conference full of bad teams, so it's kind of one of those, yeah, you won, but you all still kind of (laughs) suck situations but uh as i always say in anything in life do not miss an opportunity to get excited never pass on an opportunity to get excited the cynic in me often you would think would say or others cynical people would say yeah but yeah but yeah but the conference is bad yeah but the sample size is small or whatever the situation is excitement genuine true real authentic excitement doesn't come around every day. Do not waste an opportunity to get excited. The UTC men's uh, ba- uh, excuse me, the UTC men football team has a new head coach. His name is Tom Arth. I had mentioned on social media that I was not even a little bit upset to see Russ Huseman leave. He went to Richmond to take over the job there. He worked here for eight, nine years. He had an incredible run. He did a very good job, did some very nice things. Um, and, and I'm not going to take any of that away from him. But at the end of the day, Russ Huseman is kind of a jerk. He's not exactly the nicest guy ever. And I know I might be biased because I, when I tell you that it was based on an interview that I had with him, I was part of several years ago from that same crappy radio station, Talk Radio 102.3, 
and he didn't he took exception to a real question, a legitimate question that was what do you tell the fringe fan when we keep we meaning the base and you and the program keep hyping up, hey big game, big game, big game and then you you lose again, which has been happening for 25 years, 35 years, 40 years. Uh, even underneath his good work, there's been a lot of big games that have been lost. He didn't like that question, and so ever since then, I've not been a big fan of him personally. Tom Arth comes from John Carroll University. I think, I think it's a university. Maybe it's just a college. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it's a Division Three team on the uh, outskirts of Cleveland, Ohio. He was a backup for Peyton Manning at Indianapolis in the mid-aughts, around uh, four, five, three, four, five, or six, something like that. Didn't really ever get any real playing time as an NFL player, and then he's been a coach for his alma mater in Division Three ever since. And now he takes over the job at UTC, and I am very, uh, I'm very happy about this. I think this is he's 35 years old, strapping young man, and uh, I think he's going to do good things. And I, I, I believe it gives a little bit of energy to the program that sorely needs it. Looking forward here, going into the next uh, two or three segments here. I'm going to read this op-ed from New York Times. It's um, it's an interesting piece. I saw it on Facebook after Tim Kelly posted it. And if Tim Kelly posts something, then I pay attention. You should as well. I'll read that to you. And kind of where the whole concept really is with this and then some other things I was also already thinking about is that liberals, progressives, Democrats really just kind of were asleep at the wheel recently. And there has been a cultural shift. And often cultural shifts take Half a decade, full decade, um, long periods of time. There's been a massive cultural shift in just one year. And I'll get to that in the final segment of the show. Bounce around for a few things in the second segment of the show. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been announced. We'll talk about that more here in a few minutes. And new for 2017, I'll go and just tell you really quick before I get to Stone's Throw segment, which is going to be different than most Stone's Throw segments. It's not me ranting and raving. It's me talking about... Uh, from emotionally from the bottom of my heart, how how heartbreaking it was to hear the news of Craig Sager, the NBA analyst, uh, a sideline reporter, and um, just overall sports uh, broadcaster for the last 30, 40 years died last week. And it really it really hit me hard because uh, I really enjoyed his work and I met the guy once and um, he's a genuine dude. And so I'm going to play some of his SB speech as he uh, lost his battle. People say, he didn't lose, he won. No, no, he lost. He died. Cancer killed him. He lost the battle. And um, we'll do that here in the Stone's Throw segment. But um, new in 2017, a handful of different things. I'll have some new stuff on the website to uh, talk about uh, as it gets closer to finalize at the beginning of January. And a different shuffling of how the shows take place. It'll be more like a once a month on the local music show where I'll have um, a a film crew and we'll and we'll make a webcast out of it as well so that that that's good news and bad news the good news is it's fun it's going to be in my garage live in stone's garage it's going to be on youtube it's going to be on the website it's going to be on facebook live and all those things but it's only gonna be once a month it's a pretty big production can only do it once a month can't do it once a week not on a budget it that is zero dollars at this point but also once a month starting in january i'm going to have somebody from a local chattanooga uh, with, with some prominence in their name, whether it be an entrepreneur, whether it be a, a restaurant tenure, uh, whether it be a broadcaster, a media uh, personality, um, the ones that are still will still talk to me, kind of showcasing 
Chattanooga people who have done cool things. And the very first one I'll have in January has been confirmed. Robert T. Nash. Robert T. Nash will be my first guest on the monthly spotlight on uh, local Chattanoogans, where they came from, where they've been, and where they're going. So far, that's the only confirmation I have. But once a month, that's going to take place in 2017 as well. So that should be quite interesting. If those of you who don't know who Robert T. Nash is, I find that hard to believe. And if you do know who Robert T. Nash is, you know how that could be potentially pretty explosive. I'm really excited about that. Stone's Throw is right now. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. Beep, beep. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? Now, I had a rant for Stone's Throw that was going to kind of be reiterating some stuff from earlier in the year about former employers and other people in the industry and some of the nonsense they say. And I said, you know what? Enough of that. I'm not, not, not now. Not enough of that forever, but not now. I, I, don't, I don't have the energy. So I decided to take this segment to just talk about Craig Sager, who worked for TNT. I know he died last week. I didn't have a podcast last week, or at least not since he passed last Thursday, which would have been, uh, what day would that have been? The 15th, I believe, depending on when you're listening to this, December 15th. Um, Craig Sager is an incredible human being based on everything that you can tell by people talking. When When anybody dies, you certainly, you get everybody coming out of the woodwork to talk about how great the person is, all right? You know, that happens. We get it. Some of the biggest assholes ever are celebrated when, they're, when they die because that's just how we operate as human beings, and, they're, you know, and I'm okay with that. But from what I can tell, he was, a team, he was an NBA sideline reporter, wore the flashy, crazy jackets and pants and slacks and shoes and ties. It was, that, that became kind of his shtick in the last 10, 15 years or so. But the guy's been doing legitimate, real sports broadcasting and reporting since the uh, since the 70s and jumped on board with CNN and ESPN. He's worked all over the South He's uh, and, and all over the country, but he's, he originated down here in, in uh, TBS land in Atlanta, and he's from Illinois. But he's just he's just really good. Like he's just he's just he, he has a good flow. He doesn't he doesn't do anything amazing. He's just really solid at his job. And it looks like he just has fun. And in the end, that's what it appears that he does. About two and a half, three years ago, I ran into him in Atlanta at a Braves game. And I, I don't normally take pictures with people. I don't, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not around a lot of huge stars much. But every year at Bonnaroo, I hang out at the media compound and the, near the artist compound pretty much 40% of the weekend. I, I see people constantly who are on the same level, if not way bigger stars than Craig Sager every single year and I, I I don't get starstruck I don't go take a bunch of pictures I don't have a big photo album on Facebook with all the people I've met or the people I've stood next to and just took a picture with me I don't do that kind of stuff not for any particular reason other than I just don't but when I'm in the presence of a legendary because that's what he is he's, he's a he's a legendary broadcaster 
that really, uh, that impresses me. And I stopped him and I asked him for a picture and he couldn't have been cooler. And we talked for a couple minutes, maybe not even that, like 90 seconds maybe. And then he left and he seemed genuinely happy to do it. And when you sit down and you listen to people talk about him, all the retrospectives in the last week, it's, it's heartbreaking that this has to happen to such a kind person. I mean, I'm the biggest asshole on the planet compared to uh, guys like this. And he has, he, he has the ability and the capacity to be that kind of asshole if he wanted to be because he does have a pretty prominent position. But he doesn't. And he's, and he's just kind. The guy acted like he was you were the most important person in the conversation or in the situation at that time to almost anybody who was ever around in a working environment, in a social environment. From, from everything I can tell, from all the retrospectives I've watched, and then from my own personal experience. I got very, very emotional when I heard that he had, he had passed. I didn't know he was that close to dying. He had uh, uh, leukemia, terminal cancer that he's fought for years, way longer than doctors ever said that he would, that he would last. This is his SB speech, the, the last three minutes or so, three and a half minutes from earlier this year. He's a dead man walking. He knows it. He says things like this. And it really, even the most cynical person like me, really starts to feel much better about the human condition. When you are diagnosed with a terminal disease like cancer, leukemia, your perception of time changes. When doctors tell you, you have three weeks to live, do you try to live a lifetime of moments in three weeks? Or do you say, the hell with three weeks? When doctors tell you that your only hope of survival is 14 straight days of intense chemotherapy, 24 hours a day. Do you sit there and count down the 336 hours? Or do you see each day as a blessing? Time is something that cannot be bought. It cannot be wagered with God. And it is not in endless supply. Time is simply how you live your life. I am not an expert on time or on cancer or on life itself. I'm a kid from the small Illinois town of Batavia who grew up on the Chicago Cubs and made sports his life's work. Although there's never been a day where it actually seemed like work. I have run with the Bulls in Pamplona. I have raced with Mario Andretti in Indianapolis. I have climbed the Great Wall of China. I have jumped out of airplanes over Kansas. I have wrestled gators in Florida. I have sailed the ocean with Ted Turner. I have swam with the oceans in the Caribbean. And I have interviewed Greg Popovich. Mid-game spurs down seven. If I've learned anything through all of this, it's that each and every day is a canvas waiting to be painted. An opportunity for love, for fun, for living, for learning. To those of you out there who are suffering from cancer, facing adversity, I want you to know that your will to live and to fight cancer can make all the difference in the world. The way you think influences the way you feel. And the way you feel determines how you act. 
And to everybody out there, we are making progress. Incredible progress, as the vice president said, the moonshot program. We are going to find a cure for cancer. But we need your help. We must continue to donate. We must continue to fight. And we need, must continue to do this together. I am grateful to my parents, Coral and Al. They raised me with a positive outlook on life. I always see the glass half full. I see the beauty in others. And I see the hope for tomorrow. If we don't have hope and faith, we have nothing. Whatever I might have imagined a terminal diagnosis would do to my spirit, it summoned quite the opposite. The greatest appreciation for life itself. So I will never give up. And I will never give in. I will continue to keep fighting, sucking the marrow out of life as life sucks the marrow out of me. I will live my life full of love and full of fun. It's the only way I know how. Thank you and good night. I mean, the fact that the man knows he's going to be dead any time within the next several months and can deliver a speech like that is just remarkable. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone On Air podcast. That was Craig Sager at the ESPYs earlier this year, died at the age of 65 uh, back in the middle of December. A bounce around with just a couple of things from around the area, the uh, glass bridge. Hey, problems with the glass bridge. I'm shocked. Uh, it's going to be replaced. I'll tell you more about that here. That's downtown by the Hunter. Um, credit scores in in the state of Tennessee. Who's got the best ones? And the fake news and the fake memes and the fake nonsense online strikes again. I'll get to that here in a minute. And at the end of the weekly dose, I'll read portions of a New York Times op-ed that kind of explains a little bit another piece to me to understand how the Democrats really just took this whole cycle for granted and, a, and, a, and one specific reason as to why that Donald Trump is the president-elect of the United States of America. This is the most listened to, most downloaded, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. This is the Stone On Air Weekly Dose for December 21st, 2016. More of Stone On Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. And you are back with the Stone On Air podcast. It is the weekly dose for December 21st, 2016. It's hard to believe this album, self-titled Pearl Jam, tune Worldwide Suicide, is 10 years old. It's hard to believe that the band is 25 years old, at least since their last or excuse me, since their first release, which makes you eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, 
not only are they eligible, they are now inductees. At least they will be in April of next year. Along with Joan Baez, Tupac Shakur. Also in that list of the 2017 Hall of Fame class. Let's see who else. ELO, my boy Jeff Lynn. I love Jeff Lynn and his band Electric Light Orchestra. Yes, they've been eligible for like 20-something years. They're finally in. Journey, ugh, God, gag me. Absolutely hate Journey. And uh, Nile Rodgers will also be inducted into this year, or at least I should say next year's 2017 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class. Pearl Jam, Joan Baez, Tupac Shakur, ELO, Yes, Journey, and Nile Rodgers. I will say, I still find it a little bit interesting. And I just use the word interesting because I don't know a better word to use. And I'm not hating and I'm not trying to be ethnocentric and I'm not trying to be, uh, well, certainly not racist, whatever. That I find it weird that it was the other year that uh, oh why am I why am I uh, blanking NWA NWA gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and now T- Tupac Shakur who is a a a legendary and monumental and revolutionary artist of our time especially of you know me growing up in the nineties but it's not rock and roll. Tupac Shakur is not rock and roll. NWA is not rock and roll. So it would be like Pearl Jam getting inducted into the Bluegrass Hall of Fame. Pearl Jam is not bluegrass. That that wouldn't make any sense. So, I mean, I'm not hating, and I'm not going to go any further than that. I just do find it weird or strange or interesting that that continues to happen. Uh, or it's, it seems to be a trend over the last couple of years. And, and that's fine. I and mean, it's going to continue. And that's okay. It's just, it's just not rock and roll. That's not what it is. And maybe if you want to change the name of, of what it, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to the really influential music Hall of Fame or something, well, whatever. I'll, I'll digress from that. Um, it's the Stone on Air podcast. My name is Brian Stone. It's December 21st, 2016. Uh, another st- striking of the fake internet meme stories fake news which has just become an epidemic in this country certainly through our social medias and uh on all the snapchats and the facebook especially and that's what's really duping people but get to that here in just a minute the 1.6 million dollar pedestrian bridge downtown over by the hunter you've seen it the glass bridge what could possibly go wrong with a glass bridge the uh the i didn't know what it was called though the holmberg bridge is getting replaced. They're going to take out the glass and put in stainless steel here sooner than later. Um, it, it estimated, this is from the Chattanooga Times Free Press, the Chattanooga's Public Works Department is spending between ten dollars and $20,000 a year to replace cracked glass panels on the bridge. And they've approved $88,000 here to replace the glass with uh, aluminum. A lot, a lot of money being spent on this stupid bridge. It's, but I just, I mean, just flippantly say, what did you expect was going to happen when you put in a glass freaking bridge? It breaks, especially you got kids skateboarding down there. You got people on bikes, you got dogs, you got people, you've got all kinds of 
different things that could be dropped or whatever. Yeah, you got a glass bridge, you're going to have some problems. It's going to be a stainless steel aluminum bridge here before too long. Credit scores in the state of Tennessee. I thought this was interesting from the business section of the Times Free Press. Credit scores are on the rise and improved credit behaviors indicate a strong credit market. According to experience, da, 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 da. nation's average credit score is up four points to 669. And, excuse me, to 673. I want to get that wrong. And is only six points away from where it was in 2007 with an average of 679. You remember what happened in 2007 and into 2008 and into 2009? Oh, it's so great. Our credit numbers are getting back to where they were then, right before the freaking market crashed. The average American has a balance of $5,551 on their credit card. Nashville has a 664 average. Knoxville has a 663 average, pretty much flat, uh, the same all the way across the board. Chattanooga has a 658 average. Jackson, 656. Memphis, 642. Stop borrowing money. Don't borrow money. You need to stop borrowing money. There's no reason to continue borrowing money, okay? Can we just stop doing that so much? A little bit here and there is one thing. Stop obsessing over a credit score. Stop obsessing over this number that people have convinced you is really important in your life. I don't know what my credit score is. I don't care what my credit score is. And then one more quick one, and then I'm going to get to this op-ed here from a a writer opinion piece at uh, New York Times and kind of giving a little bit of a different perspective as to why the Democrats all of a sudden find themselves in disarray and... Donald Trump and the Republicans pretty much have their handle on things, I believe, for the next eight years. I wrongly, wrongfully said going into this uh, election season that I thought whoever won would only be a one-term president. I'm not sure that's true anymore. But there's this thing going around. It's been going around for a little while now, and I just ran into it. It was a, uh, a meme. You know what a meme is? It's a picture of something, and then it has words, usually on the top and the bottom. And it's kind of like usually either a question, answer, or a thought, and a, and a, a follow-up. Kind of, you know, sometimes to be funny, sometimes to be quote-unquote informative, sometimes to uh, just be stupid, whatever. This one started, I noticed the other day on some social medias from people that were friends of mine, people who I respect. It's a picture of, of Kurt Cobain. That's a classic picture of him from the MTV Unplugged album. So picture most people recognize. I believe it's the same picture from the People magazine um, cover that he was on after he killed himself back in the mid-90s. Again, this, so this is a meme. It's got words on the top, words on the bottom, and it's giving the appearance that this is a quote by Kurt Cobain. In the end, I believe my generation will surprise everyone. We already know that both political parties are playing both sides from the middle and will elect a true outsider when we fully mature. That's the top line. The bottom line is, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not a business tycoon who can't be bought and who who does what's right for the people. Someone like Donald Trump, as crazy as that sounds. Little dash mark, Kurt Cobain, 1993. This is not true. This is fake. Kurt Cobain never said this. And the person or people or organization or whatever who originated this fallacy, this fraudulent piece of crap that then turned into a viral thing all over social media, didn't spell Kurt Cobain's freaking name right. At the bottom, it says, dash, 
Kurt Cobain, 1993. Kurt spelled with an F and C. It's not how he spells his name. They can't even spell the fraudulent piece of crap they're putting out there. And it's still getting circulation. It's still getting retweets. It's still getting Snapchatted again and again. It's still being posted on Instagram. It's not real. It's fake. It's dumb. It's stupid. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's a representation of where we're at. We see something, we either like or don't like, and we either trash it or like it literally or like it figuratively and share it or retweet it or repost it. And it's just, it's gross, man. Stop. Stop it. If you want to look at stupid shit on the email, on, on the internet, go ahead. But don't spread it around until you understand what it is that you're looking at. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone On Air podcast, a weekly dose for December 21st, the final one of 2016, a retrospective on uh, the final Wednesday of the month, which is coming up rapidly and uh, I'll get to that op-ed from the New York Times next and then put the wraps on it. This is ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. Basically, it's Jeff Lynn who plays every instrument under the sun, and he created a band, and he pretty much wrote everything and directed everything, and he just needed a band so he could tour with. It's ELO is Jeff Lynn. You wouldn't have Tom Petty, the international superstar he is without Jeff Lynn, uh, which Beatle, why am I blanking? George Harrison wouldn't have had the post-Beatles success like he did without uh, Jeff Lynne and the Traveling Wilburys, probably one of the most successful uh, supergroups of all time, was the brainchild of Jeff Lynne and often the member who is often forgotten about. Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, George Harrison, and Jeff Lynne were the Traveling Wilburys. ELO and Pearl Jam, Tupac Shakur, Joan Baez, Nile Rodgers, and Journey, and yes, all part of the 2017 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class. More coming up next. Hang tight. Tupac Shakur, a member of the class of 2017 for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love this tune. It's not rock and roll, but I love it. I'm not going to sit over here and pretend like I know much about Tupac Shakur. I'm just not going to do that. that that's, that's foolish and fraudulent on my part if I try to do that. I don't listen to much of any hip-hop. Well, I'll rephrase that. Any hip-hop or rap or anything like that never have. I'm a white guy who likes guitar-driven music. But I recognize excellence when I see it or when I hear it. And Tupac is certainly a revolutionary and monumental force in the history of music. I just wonder if necessarily needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since... I don't know. It's not rock and roll, but that's cool. I'm not mad. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I'm just wondering out loud. Donald Trump is a president, and I'm not going to bat. I'm not going to d- d- sit here and do podcasts about bashing Trump over and over again. I'm not going to do it. 
I adapt with life and I roll the punches and I continue. Plus, I'm a blue-eyed, brown-haired, Caucasian-American male. What do I have to worry about? Not a whole lot, really. But I am a liberal, and maybe more than the fact that I am a liberal, I'm a progressive. You know, I'm a Democrat. I never voted for a Republican. I'm not sure that I would definitely never vote for a Republican. But I certainly don't have any intentions to do so anytime soon. Mainly because I'm, uh, I'm an, for lack of a better term, I'm an agnostic and, and pretty staunch in that, in, in, in that uh, way of thinking. And I don't like you know, religious factors coming into my legislation. That, that's, that's the main reason. But I do understand when I see things changing and I appreciate and recognize cultural shifts. And in the last year, year and a half, we've had a major cultural shift in this country. Oftentimes, cultural shifts take place over longer periods of time. If you go back to July of 2015, I remember having these conversations about Bernie and Trump and whoever else out at CFC games with you know some, some very intelligent friends of mine. And we have good conversations. And it was like, th- there was nobody there who was, would admittedly say they're going to vote for Donald Trump. That was in July of 2015. Well, fast forward a month and, I mean, excuse me, a year and what, four months after that, and a majority, well, not a majority, but a big, large percentage of the country did. And so that was kind of a little cultural shift. And I think part of it is, is that liberals and progressives and Democrats got cocky. And I think I might be one of those. I I, I tended to think that the White House is probably going to stay Democrat for a very long time. I didn't respect Donald Trump enough to think that he could do what he did. And a revolution was formed of sorts and a movement of sorts and a cultural shift. And a lot of that has to do with liberal, progressive, Democrat laziness and arrogance and thinking that that we, quote unquote, have taken over and we're, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. And just get used to it, buddy. And then it started to get really extreme in a lot of the uh, agendas that were trying to be pushed. No longer was it just, you know, health care or, um, you know, pro-choice and uh, a few things like that. That it, Now it turned into bathrooms. And now it's, it's turned into this extreme version of what was once, I thought, a pretty reasonable approach to life. And this is a piece from New York Times opinion piece by Mark Lilla. I think is how you say that. L-I-L-L-A. Mark Lilla. About a month old, right after the election, about a week after the election. And it's titled The End of Identity Liberalism. And I thought it was a very interesting piece that I, that I originally saw that Tim Kelly posted. One of the most Democratic Republicans you'll ever meet. And if he posts it, I read it. So this is I'm gonna this is a very long piece. I've just highlighted some of the parts: identity liberalism and diversity. How far do you take that when you're trying to shape a political platform? How should diversity shape our politics? The standard liberal answer for nearly a generation now has been that we should be aware of and celebrate our differences, which in theory is a splendid principle, but disastrous as a foundation for democratic politics in our ideological age. In recent years, American liberalism has slipped into kind of a moral panic about racial, gender, and sexual identity 
that has distorted liberalism's message and prevented it from becoming a unifying force capable of governing. One of the many lessons of the recent presidential election campaign and its repugnant outcome is that the age of identity liberalism must be brought to an end. Hillary Clinton was at her best and most uplifting when she spoke about American interest in world affairs and how they relate to our understanding of democracy. But when it came to life at home, she tended on the campaign trail to lose that large vision and slip into rhetoric of diversity, calling out, ex to, out explicitly to African-American, Latino, LGBT, and women voters at every stop. This was a strategic mistake. If you're going to mention groups in America, you had better mention all of them. If you don't, those left out will notice and feel excluded, which as the data show was exactly what happened with white working class and those with strong religious convictions. Fully two-thirds of white voters without college degrees voted for Donald Trump, as did over 80% of white evangelicals. A little sidebar for me here. The Christian evangelical community was exposed for the frauds. I always knew they were in this election, by the way, too. That's just me. Back to this piece from the New York Times. The moral energy surrounding identity has, of course, had many good effects. Affirmative action has reshaped and improved corporate life. Black Lives Matters has delivered a wake-up call to every American with a conscience. Hollywood's efforts to normalize homosexuality in our popular culture helped to normalize it in American families and public life. But the fixation on diversity in our schools and in the press has produced a generation of liberals and progressives narcissistically unaware of conditions outside of their self-defined groups and indifferent to the task of reaching out to Americans in every walk of life. But it is at the level of electoral politics that identity liberalism has failed most spectacularly, as we have just seen. National politics in healthy periods is not about difference. It's about commonality, and it will be dominated by whoever best captures Americans' imaginations about our shared destiny. Ronald Reagan did that very skillfully. So did Bill Clinton. The media's newfound interest in the angry white male reveals as much about the state of our liberalism as it does about this much maligned and previously ignored figure. We need a post-identity liberalism, and it should draw from the past successes of pre-identity liberalism, such that would concentrate on widening its base by appealing to Americans as Americans and emphasizing the issues that affect the vast majority of them. And this thing went on and on and on in different spots, and I'll end it right there. But it does say here at the very end of the, that paragraph, in parentheses, to paraphrase Bernie Sanders, America's sick and tired of hearing about liberals' damn bathrooms. And I, I can't disagree with that paraphrase, and I can't disagree with that overall take of this just got out of hand. This got out of hand, guys. Equal rights is one thing, and I'm staunchly for it. But this has gotten out of hand, and liberals, progressive, and Democrats got arrogant, and they got lazy, and they got apathetic, and they just sat back and let a madman become president. And it's, it's turning out to look like it's just another Republican regime, which is fine, I believe, in the end. I don't, I'm still pretty mortified by this whole situation right now, but it happens. It's not that big a deal, I don't think. We'll see. Only time will tell. Hell, this movie hadn't even started yet. 
We're just watching the preview. We're just watching the pre-show crap. We haven't even started this movie yet. So we'll talk about that into 2017 as well. My name is Brian Stone. This is the most listened to, most downloaded, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for finding it and listening to it, downloading it, liking it, sharing it, always loving it, it and everything else in your life. I definitely do appreciate it. A retrospective from the show back six months worth of it from uh, back at that crappy radio station and six months of it as a standalone podcast will be next week's Daily Dose or Weekly Dose, I should say, and then a, kind of a, a new direction in 2017, a monthly sit-down with local Chattanoogans, and the first man I'll have in in January of 2017 is the one and the only Robert T. Nash, an explosive, controversial character here in, T- in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he'll be my first guest on the monthly sit-down with local Chattanoogans. I hope you'll find that as you do any of the shows, whenever you can, whenever your time permits. And uh, we'll do it again here soon. So, Happy New Year. Enjoy your uh, Christmas and your holidays and whatever. And we'll talk to you again for, uh, for, for the retrospective next week and then for what has got to be a better year in 2017 than the most strangest, oddest, weirdest year in the history of my already incredibly strange, odd, and weird life. Do not be a fraud. The truth is easy to remember and continue to watch this space. See you. Bye. It's Stone's Daily Dose. What if we're still doing this when we're 50? It would be nice to have that kind of job security. At stoneonair.com. Definitely in the house.